word to the wise. We are an explicit podcast tackling content with adult themes as well as entering spoiler territory if you aren't caught up with us. This week, that is through the end of Lightbringer by Pierce Brown. there this is cross this is pj no funny stuff no nonsense we're just getting straight to the point apparently on this one and and we are words and whiskey a podcast for veteran and novice readers alike we tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking and you should think of us as your intoxicating weekly book club insert filler here insert filler here <laughs> <indeed>. <laughs> today <laughs> there's there's so much that we have to go through that we're kind of i don't know we're blitzing this intro a little bit but that just is the case but we're gonna have to be talking about this a lot over the course of the week but of course spoilers if you haven't read this book but to pour one out for our boy cassius if you haven't read this book, stop listening go away read the book yeah no you're li- right we, we warned you already so we've only got the good stuff in here yes only the good stuff and only get the good stuff for our boy cassius at the top of the episode of whom will be a downer for the rest of it. So cheers. Cheers. Um, that won't be the first time we're drinking whiskey in his name today. So today is our 12th episode um, of covering Lightbringer. We're going to be talking about chapters 83 through the end of Pierce Brown's Lightbringer. We're I, mostly going to talk I, about my brain 84. Is, <laughs> we're going to talk a lot about 84. We're going to talk Which a one? lot about 83. It's 84. It is 84. It's 84. Yeah. <laughs> There, you know, let's talk about what we're drinking first. <laughs> I have so many feelings. This episode is not going to be like conventional in any way. I don't know. It's been a it's been a day. I spent the better part of today writing these notes, and I don't know. I don't know, man. I'm in a weird spot emotionally. <laughs> yeah, you can tell going through the notes. Um, oh man, um, but it's definitely a thing. In a continuance of our no-nonsense honoring Cassius, uh, my cocktail is whiskey. It consists of whiskey. (laughs) (laughs) So I I got uh, my bottle of Tyrconnell single malt Irish whiskey, uh, aged 10 years and finished in a port cask. It's very, very, very delicious. I love this whiskey. It's a little bit less sweet than you'd expect from an Irish. You almost get sort of a smoky note, but it's not really smoke. It's just a lot of barrel. And and with that port finish, it, it comes across really, really smooth and drinkable. But you can tell you're drinking whiskey and it doesn't feel like you're drinking something sugared. Like, I feel like when, when we drink Jameson every once in a while, I, I always feel like there's some back sweetening to it. I know there's not, but mm-hmm. that sweetness that you find in Irish whiskey sometimes is really great and can be really great in, um, like, when, when you do, like, a Jameson ginger or something like that, that sort of ginger complements the sweetness quite a bit. But this doesn't quite have that same characteristic. Yeah, I totally get that. And, you know, are is that all you have? No beer? No oh, no nothing to follow it up with? I've got juicy bits. Okay. Cool. All right. Uh, yeah, from Weldworks. 
Cool. Talked about nice. it before, but I still had yeah. another one in yeah, the four-pack, yeah. so. Great, great beer. Great follow-up. EJ, this is the episode in which I have the most drinks in front of me that I've ever had, To just to be perfectly clear. There are... Including? There were six cups in- on my table. All right, all right. I don't think anything can beat the Trial of Stains. True. The Trial of Stains, I guess, technically wins. That was definitely a lot. Fair enough. <laughs> Outside of the Trial of Stains, this is the most liquid that I've had on my desk. Okay. <laughs> I have conventionally a tea, which is just, you know, every episode, and water. Traditional. Something I do every time. I have the shot, of which we started off this episode with for Cassius. I have an additional pour of whiskey for Cassius, for the man, to cheers later, of course, as as is necessity. And then I have back half beer, which is called Midtown Swank, which I chose specifically because it gave me a little bit of remembrance of the chin when I was in the liquor store picking out a beer this weekend because I knew that I had to do this eventually. And it just felt like the right thing to celebrate the chin. Double IPA, very tasty from Wilmington Brewing Company. And then I have a cocktail that I made today for Cassius called the Eagle's Reprieve which is a whiskey cocktail. I imagine this kind of being like his sort of like a, you know, it's a, it's a reprieve. It's what he goes to when he's looking to relax and maybe looking for a little bit more, actually throwing something together in his room, but also with the limitations of the spaceship, right? So like nothing too crazy or specific, and maybe he's just hunting around in drawers to try to make something, which wasn't what I did. No, that's not, <laughs> I didn't do that. So, Proud of you for for being prepared. (laughs) (laughs) I actually, fun fact, I did make this cocktail this weekend originally, and I perfected it. So, like, I I made it twice over the course of the weekend to like dial it in. Well, yeah, no, I I, like I did dial it in. This is great. (laughs) It's very tasty. (laughs) Yeah, but what it is is it is two ounces of bourbon, a half ounce of creme de cacao liqueur, a half ounce of Mario Luigi. I mean maraschino. A half ounce of the sweet stuff, which is just the sugar water that gets hot and you stir it. That's the simple. I'm going to fuck up all my words all day like this. So I'm just getting getting you guys used to it right now. Simple syrup. Half ounce of simple syrup. Egg white. One ounce lemon juice. And (laughs) these nutmegs shredded all over the top of it. All right. Shaken, you know, typical top of the Nanga store bitter. And it is very tasty. It looks really good. Basically a... Yeah, super good. A Christmassy kind of whiskey sour, kind of, with like a little bit of that sweet chocolate backing. Really rich and complex. If you don't like whiskey, you can absolutely swap it out for rum. I've had it both ways. I swapped in bourbon the second time that I made it this weekend, and I liked the bourbon a little bit better myself, but to each their own. Nice. I very nearly made it's the good. Um, cinnamon milk punch that I made for mm. a cocktail party that I went to this weekend, but uh, used all my cinnamon syrup at that cocktail party. So uh, that'll do it. do that. It'll do it. All right. So that's what we're drinking on this lovely episode. PJ, before we talk about the chapters, how do you feel about this week's reading? How'd you feel about finishing the book? How you feeling? Going into uh, what we have feeling today. really good, feeling happy that Cassius is dead, feeling great that Lysander's <laughs> on his way to like truly conquering the universe, like his destiny <laughs> destiny uh, says he should. Don't like that Darrow and Diomedes were able to get out alive, and mostly I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, just vibing with, with Lys. <laughs> 
with lice. Yeah, he does get called lice once during this chapter, and I was like, what the fuck? I mean, it makes sense, but it was like a lot at the same time. No, I'm feeling heartbroken, and yeah, I get it. I get it now. You you get what specifically? All, the, all the very, very nasty words said about Lysander online. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The thing that we were talking about months ago, you kind mm-hmm. of understand now. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I do get it. I mean, yeah. I mean, he stranded a civilization, which is crazy. Like, and he's prepared to commit genocide twice. It's all in service of his plan. Like, <laughs> sure. What? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> All right. Well, there's a meaty ton to talk about. I guess before before we get into some of the specifics, now that we're at the end, because I feel like we will be incoherently babbling, there's a chance that this is two episodes even with how much shit we have to talk about. We'll see. You won't know until the end of the episode or the timestamp, <laughs> listener, <laughs> because we don't really know at this point. But there are a lot of notes. There's a lot to talk about. But I did just want to ask in general about your sort of feelings on on the book on the whole. I think I, I mentioned last week that I was a little bit concerned with how this might end and if it would truly feel like a book ending as opposed to just kind of, I have to split this up and here seems like as good a spot as any. And it does. It, it feels like it wraps up really well. Uh, I imagine that if this was a giant like 4,000 page tome, this would be a part break, so it makes sense that like, it was able to be shored up into a book. And um, man, I love this book. I really, I really like the stories that are presented. I like the perspectives that we get. I'm surprised but not disappointed. Like based on how it turned out and how the the story progressed, I'm I'm surprised, but I'm not necessarily disappointed in that we didn't get. Virginia at all after that parlay I mean or after the the evacuation like we didn't get any more of her perspective we didn't get to hear anything about her interactions with Victra after the fact like I know we will I'm curious if we'll step back in time a little bit and see some of the the happenings from Mars's perspective maybe as like a an epilogue to the next book or something like that, or a straight up like time jump part. I don't know. I'm curious, but we're pretty locked in with uh, three perspectives for most of this book. Right. And even at that, I mean, four Lyria, but I was thinking Lyria, Darrow, Lysander. And Virginia. I mean, like, I I mean, I mean, for most of the book, for like, the first third, Virginia's there, but isn't it like two thirds of the book without her? Yeah, for the most part, the back two parts, basically. So Tempest and Brothers, right, are completely devoid of okay. Virginia. 
Maybe because like she is them. really just in part two, which is like 120, 140 pages. Whatever part two is, specifically the Battle of Phobos is basically the only place that she is in the book. But at the same time, Lyria is only in part three. That's a good you point. Know, just for comparison. But yeah. part three is a much larger I, part than most of the other parts of the book. My perception is so warped on this because of how long we've been covering it. I mean, we've been covering it for four or close to four months, months at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Close. Yeah. Yeah, so I it's hard for me to remember how long ago it was since we saw Virginia. It's been a couple months. I, I don't think that's unreasonable as far as like a, a take goes for, you know, like the length of time. But I would say that I also felt that way of like, wait, where was Virginia in this book? And kind of like the scope of it all, because she does. And this isn't a critique. She just falls out of the story because she's not relevant to what's happening there. I mean, right? it's like, like several falling out of of Dark Age. Yeah, right. Like, Unless you wanted to, to give a separate about, perspective. So. Yeah. Right. And right. it lends isolation. It, it puts us in Darrow's perspective of of someone who doesn't have access to that. I, I don't know. There, It's a fine line to, to walk things. to give an audience the information of all the characters that we're dealing with and also try to put them in the headspace of the, arguably the main character of the entire story. Mm-hmm. Lysander. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I kid. But like the two main characters that this story is predominantly about. Like a lot of this has been over time. We've been gradually whittling almost to that point. I'll be curious to see. I'm sure she will be an important character that will give us a perspective on the war through Volga and the Braves. But I'm curious to see how much of an impact Vol- uh, Lyria has in the next section because i do feel like not that her story came to terms but she's had a lot of things wrapped up not the whole entirety of her plot which i think will involve like returning to cabax and back to the telemonises and things like that but i'm curious to see if she'll have Mm -hmm. sort of if she'll be peppered throughout or if similarly she'll be like a burn like virginia for like a part basically yeah i'll be curious yeah me too given the way that she wraps up In this book, I could see her being a sparsely used utility for exactly that reason. Um, Yeah. I mean, there's still a story to finish with her, but. I could also see uh, the the perspective switching to Volga. Sure. I think that'd be really interesting. I don't know. I don't know what sort of perspectives we'll deal with. If it's been confirmed or not, that we'll deal with the same ones. No idea. I truth be told, and for the most part, I think it was until I think I mentioned it like an episode or two ago, I had kept myself from listening to anyone else's anything, any of the interviews, any of any of it, because I just didn't want to be like thrown. And like two weeks ago was the first time that I watched or like a week and a half ago now was the first time that I had watched an interview. And it was the Hill Reaper one that they just did recently, which was excellent as like a post on Lightbringer. So it was great. It was good. Awesome. Um, All right. Let's get into this. We got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk more about the book in the end in a wrap up anyway, so we can get into some of those more specific thoughts and kind of dive deep and break them down. But it's time for us to talk through the two Lysander chapters kind of back to back here. So hard, hardcore debate internally on I love the yay of (laughs) putting 83 last week or this week as I was looking to break this up into the two episodes 
I feel like 83 has such a heavy hand of possibility that it felt like a worse cliffhanger than the what's going on with Darrow just because it like, you know, you kind of see this stuff coming because mm-hmm. of Cassius being there, but you, not the specifics of it all. And it makes me think too much about like what will Atlas do, I think, versus, right. you know, I don't know. So I yeah. had a long, long thought going into this. I like the way that it was broken up. That's good. Yeah. Cool. Oh, all right. With that, let's get into chapter 83, Lysander, A Way Out. We open this final week among the stars with Lysander as he returns from this conversation with Diomedes and Darrow. And we're confronted with both Demetrius and Marcus. And you can, I think for the first time in a long time, palpably feel that leash that Atlas has around Lysander's neck grow tighter, especially in his absence. Yeah, these Gorgons or Praetorians, I, I can't remember what category they're they fall into. It's both. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah they, they don't even pretend to have any amount of respect for our perfect golden boy at this point. It, it caught me off guard, especially when he starts like trimming his toenails, but it also, it, what caught me more off guard was Lysander's sort of casual response to all of it. He he doesn't act disrespected. And maybe that's just the, his headspace um, doesn't really allow him to like be in that prim proper like golden boy state that he has to be in later. But I don't know. Felt odd. Yeah. There's a lot of like, well, what do you do in that situation? Like how, how do you react differently? I don't know. In my head at the very least, because like, He's trapped and it feels that way. And this, the nail clipping in particular is a great example of like, yeah, you can't do anything. You're less than dirt to us. Like you don't matter Mm -hmm. in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Gross. So the kill pool partakers leave Lysander to a shuttle in room where Lysander requests a drink from Exeter, kind of calling out to his, his man, his manservant to help him out here. And is instead greeted by his old friend Cassius, who of whom has left Exeter for a short nap. Not a long one, but he also notes the stolen tiger armor that Cassius is wearing at the moment from a new shepherd. And while it's a small thing, Cassius's mention of the unmentionable here goes a long way to say that new clothes, same emperor is definitely a thing under the watch of Lysander with. I think his name starts with a C. I don't even remember what it was, but just mm-hmm. the sort of assault and the moment that he stole that from that piece of shit gold of whom you know fuck man yeah yeah maybe i shouldn't but i felt surprised and a little betrayed even by lysander's lack of reaction to to cassius's reveal about about this new shepherd strabo yeah strabo yeah because i kept thinking Mm -hmm. it was almost strawberry (laughs) <laughs> i'm glad that strabo was relieved of his dick before death yeah yeah good on cassius i mean yeah i was just sort of appalled particularly in lysander's reaction i think right. that's what really similar similar to you that's what really like got me is the fact that like he didn't even think for a moment about it really 
fun side effect of like where the armor go and it's like oh yeah this is just kind of a normal thing it's a consequence of whatever the hell but like that's what you're trying to stand up against like that's the whole point of your new shepherds and you're already like just fine with that what the fuck man yeah the the priorities are really kind of fucked because he takes pride or seems to take pride in knowing that like knowing their names and knowing their backgrounds and knowing all these facts about them but it's all just it's it's personal personnel files and dossiers that he's memorized it's not anything to do mm-hmm. with their actual like conduct under his leadership it's it's theater there there's a good argument inside of all of this and i think you can even pose this for most of lysander or at the very least through most of tempest and the brothers that he has learned how to act like atlas from atlas like he is becoming atlas by and large of whom yes is doing he's just like adopted that as his personality he's gone from this guy of whom like worshipped the stoics and this concept of being an iron gold and honor falsely but he's like instead propelled himself down that path here at the end um yeah but not about utility not even in a way that's like not with conviction yeah, he right. he's been dragged down that path and is kind of floating down it, but he's not embodying it like Atlas does. Like, even though Atlas he's is not sad about it, <laughs> despicable. <laughs> Which, at least yeah. he like knows what he's doing and does it on purpose. Mm-hmm. Does it with purpose? I would. I that would also too, throw that too. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, it is. If you're gonna be a yeah, if you're gonna be like a tyrant dictator be a convincing one yeah yeah we're we're gonna have to we're gonna talk about that a lot (laughs) over the course of the end of this but like jesus christ man this this is the beginning of like there there are a lot of like different points that i've definitely pointed to over the course of this kind of quietly while we were going through it where I, i thought i saw like different turning points to me i think the biggest one is roan and the reveal of roan being a traitor is the one that i think shakes lysander the hardest in my opinion. And that's when I think he starts to kind of go down the, this path, not able to kind of see a way out, but at the same time, seeing the way out is to just follow. Yeah. And imitate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But this is, this is that, this is crazy. I can't believe the man. I can't actually, cause I've read it. So I, I fully can't believe it. <laughs> True. Good point. So, we find that it is Pytha of whom let our golden boy onto the ship, and he mentions that if you wanted to kill Lysander, he would have hidden in the closet and bur- burst out while you were meditating upside down, practicing Mithraticism. And Mithraticism is the practice of poisoning yourself slowly with non-lethal do- lethal doses in the hopes of becoming immune to the poison, which brings us to the second time that we've mentioned Princess Bride during this novel, I think, if not more. But, you know, at least the second time. I was... Well, I like to say that I was very curious about the definition of that word, but I think I was mostly just a little bit curious because I didn't take the time to look it up myself. So, (laughs) (laughs) but I love the use of the term here and, and the sort of, what would you call it? An accusation, I guess that, that Cassius throws Lysander's way or it's more of a, an observation than an accusation, but just buying into the society sort of 
Yeah, yeah. I think I think it is kind of more of an offhanded, like, oh, you've fallen back into the old ways, have you? Kind of thing. But mm-hmm. like offhanded in not like a completely out there way, which I, I really appreciate. I will say in my initial note taking session when I was burning through this book and reading it in the coffee shop, as it were, that we've talked about many a time. When I was in the coffee shop, I took it down as Mithraicism in my head, not Mithraicism. And I didn't double check it. And I was like, oh, so we're talking about like the old world religion from the basket of the world and whatnot, and yada, 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 early B.C., of which was recently, I mean, it's talked about a lot as sort of like a general historical faith, but recently in Raised by Wolves in season two, Mithraicism is like the whole holy cast of warriors in that show in season one and season two. And season two, spoiler, brief, 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 brief spoilers. This is nothing absolutely crazy. It won't shake your world. But season two ends with a man looking like he's hung upside down in the air on a cross. And he's a Mithraic practicer and i was like wait are you making a raised by wolves reference very directly right now are you saying raised by wolves is canon and then coming back to it i went oh no this is different <laughs> this is not what i thought it was yeah 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 not mithraicism mythraticism which is it sounds similar but it's also spelled so differently anyway Poison aside, they continue to discuss what their path forward is, and Cassius extends his hand to offer him a way out to rejoin him on the Archie and put all of this behind them. He mentions that he's done with this place and calls back to Morningstar, or that he's done well with this cut, that he's done well with this place and calls back to Morningstar when Cassius was last in this very room with Darrow. Another full circle moment. There's something very, very human about how... Cassius's recollection here is written. He's fumbling a little bit about the type of whiskey and uh, relying on the sense memory of the smokiness of the liquor to to bring him to focus on the scotch. I don't know, I don't know why that stuck with me, but for whatever reason, the the verbiage and just the mundanity of of that little bit to be included in this conversation felt really human and and like that thrown against the like with fabii's blood still drawing on the floor or wet on the floor whatever it was it's like that's just a juxtaposition you know mm. that you, you you don't really think of immediately yeah. <laughs> when you consider died there in this very ship this very Oof. ship yeah. Uh, Cassius continues to kind of go down this path and asks him to unpack his feelings of when he saw him on Mercury and they get to the heart of the matter, but not before drawing petty comparisons between the two of them. Lysander and Darrow both took their small strikes against each other, a room and a ship, neither theirs, but owned much by them as the other. Kind of a fun, another parallel that we get between our heroic and anti-heroic pair. Yeah, it really adds to that Morningstar Lightbringer comparison we've been talking about. And much like that formal blood feud sort of ritualistic word, they are devils to each other. Yeah, devils to each other indeed. They constantly haunt each other. And wow, what I, how I don't, you know, I understand the tricky situation, the absolute gambit that Darrow was facing down when he was sitting there across from him with Diomedes, but how I don't wish he'd listened to his first instinct and pounced. Yeah. 
Although ultimately, I think that would have been worse because he would have lost Diomedes as well, which leads to a whole different problem. I think Diomedes would have reacted. Probably true. He probably would have had to kill Diomedes too, or die. And then neither would join to fight Atalantia, which is the only reason that his hand was stilled. So I get that. Convince the Rim Lords of anything. How how I wish. How I wish. We get back to Cassius here, and he says. Life's not all war, Lysander. I've always wondered the people we'd be if we weren't born with these names. Bologna, Loon, they've given us such horrible choices to make. Choices we never asked for. I know we got the riches too, but it's not fair, this inheritance of yours. Selenius squatting on your back since you were born. Everyone else thinking being born a Loon is a blessing. But I know it's a curse. And he continues just a little bit after that, you know, talking talking through this whole thing um, with him. He says, I can't imagine it. It's required you to shift your shape to survive. It's not your fault. It's kept you safe over all these years, shape-shifting. It's the only thing that has kept you safe, being what Octavia wanted you to be, what your guards expect you to be, and what Atlas needs you to be, what I needed you to be. Here in the depths of this really emotional conversation with Cassius, I really couldn't help but imagine Lysander reverted back to a child. Like he seemed so small and broken and taken advantage of, and obviously this is from Cassius's perspective. It's it's his words. It's not Lysander's, but it's still, for whatever reason, evokes that imagery in, in me. I think it's like understanding a complete picture of a person, right? You know, the the thing that I give I would give Cassius a ton of credit for throughout this whole thing is um, how this all like how it how it all shapes out for him as he sees Lysander he has a complete view of who this kid is in part because of how he was raised in part because of how he saw him in part because of raising him and kind of understanding him over the course of that decade um yeah it's a lot it is a lot it's also tough to like unpack this without like talking about just like the absolute <laughs> shit that Lysander is in a little bit, you know, like trying to be reasonable. I'm with trying. Yeah. Which is the, that was the only pro that I could come up with in my head to do maybe this chapter last week as opposed to this week was because it's, it, it is impossible it. for me to go ahead. Because it separates it. Yeah. Cause it's almost, it's almost impossible prior very easy for me to like mentally separate the death of cassius from the moment and like try to be positive about all the lysander stuff to some degree like hold it together and hold down you know sort of the perspective as the book wants us to kind of interpret or take it or you know presents it to us at the very least and now but now that we're like in it it's like well i'm i know how i feel about this (laughs) and you know you know what's there (laughs) so Mm -hmm. yeah it's a it's a difficult little little line to walk but so cassius dives even a little bit deeper explaining his own place in manipulating lysander to fit him as a replacement for julian for his brother this whole part is brothers it's been focusing on brothers you you'd note over the course of listening to this that i focused in on all the moments where brothers or brotherhood was mentioned over the course of this book because it's been all building and maybe obfuscating to the singular point coming up here and a hangar 17b but cassius has been trying to fill that hole of his brother and he did it the wrong way as opposed to he looked to carve someone down like he said to fit that and when once he did fit it it he resented him for not being his his like actual blood brother julian his sweeter 
quote younger quote twin um yeah and like meanwhile you've got an actual brother that isn't trying to fit that in darrow so i mean it's 11th hour when it comes to cassius as we've mentioned Mm -hmm. so it's it sucks that it comes so late in the game but it is really great to see cassius actually confronting these feelings about julian after all of these books um and he has in the past confronted feelings but those feelings were shrouded in rage and uh depression and and now he's able to kind of get past that fog a little bit and really kind of analyze his relationship with his brother a little bit and how it relates to the way that he's been living his life for the last two decades almost so he had that little conversation with darrow about julian it wasn't quite as deep as this one but still it's nice that he's able to bring him up openly yeah and able to kind of broach that because that is a foundational part of what kind of broke him to some degree right like if we think if we think about julian and his his overall like impact on cassius is very important it's what turns him away from darrow right away and then leads to sort of the the rivalry between them in the long run that then foregoes what could have been a very powerful and like excellent friendship that they then just are able to rebuild you know right now finally and at the end of Morningstar when they finally kind of saw eye to eye again um yeah now Darrow never gets to say another word to Cassius ever again I mean he gets to say words to Cassius oh Cassius Cassius doesn't get to hear them back yeah fair point (laughs) you asshole um (laughs) so Lysander is a little quote about about the whole thing about sort of this concept that's been juggled a lot of the book and in particular i think is critical to both lysander and cassius's arc right he a lot of cassius and lysander's arc together was focused on honor and iron gold in over the course of dark age we we come to sort of the no honor no time which is you know sort of his his initial cop out and then this is sort of his final kind of explanation of sorts that he he arrives at talking with Cassius kind of about the subject. And he says, honor, it sounds so silly when you say it enough. It can excuse anything, but we only pretend it protects. Yet it is there, a feeling of what is true and what is slippery and false. In his attempt to sound so smart and so above <laughs> everybody else, he's, I mean, he's, he's completely lost the meaning like he he's found the definition of the word but not the meaning of the word if that makes mm-hmm. sense yeah the spirit of the idea yeah, like yeah, it's exactly it's not a word to be defined it is a way to live right and that's the difference between lysander and diomedes period that's why they make such great foils to each other right Ugh. and then diomedes to cassius as well as different definitions of how to approach on or think about it i'd say theirs is fairly similar with different focuses like Diomedes yeah. Is, oh yeah 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 like they're, they're right. I, i'd say they'd probably agree that each other is maintaining a level of honor that makes sense for what they're going for one to themselves and their family and what they believe is right and one to 
their oaths and their people and their entire dominion, which those lines fall in different places when you're dealing with those different subjects. But I, I think they'd agree yeah. with each other if they really had an in-depth conversation about it. Yeah, I I think I think you're totally right. I think they do largely agree on it. And if we were to get like that sort of like honorable conversation, I think that that would be a great one. It'd be one for the record books. I also think that there's something to be said that Cassius learned a lot about honor from the raw in his time there in Iron Gold in some ways, you know, and especially from Diomedes, <laughs> because I think comparatively Cassius is fallible. And I don't want to say that Diomedes is infallible, but his honor is unshakable at the very least. And mm-hmm. Cassius is fallible, I would say, by comparison. So what we really need is for Pierce Brown to just control Z a bunch of times, just undo Mm -hmm. everything that happened to Cassius, let him survive, and then Cassius and Diomedes get together and produce a podcast called the the Dragon and Eagle Honor Hour, where they... (laughs) They just talk about honor every week (laughs) for an hour. And it's mostly Diomedes sitting there going, no, (laughs) shut up, Cassius. (laughs) Cassius is just blabbing on the other end. Oh, of course. Making jokes and clips. Very nearly a one-sided conversation. Sever up the cord at one point on Cassius (laughs) in the middle of the podcast from under the table. He's the audio guy, I'm sure. Yeah, Yeah, definitely the audio guy. Dara's the occasional special guest. He's like, fucking no. I don't know, dude. I'd listen. I just want to see my son. Yeah, I would I would tune in. I'd subscribe. I'd join their Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of trying to make our way through the end. There's so much to fucking talk about in this chapter. But <laughs> Lysander, for the first time, this whole book, this whole goddamn book, finally breaks down and does what he's failed to do with everyone else. He tells the complete truth to Cassius, not the muted truth that he told Pytha or the lies that he fed Cicero, Diomedes, the shepherds, Horatia, Pallas, all of them. This is the truth unadulterated out of his mouth admitting out loud (laughs) that he knows what evil shit he's doing sorry i put the context on that last (laughs) one but you know (laughs) yeah no i know you're good it's pretty hard to feel bad for this man but it 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 is hard to overlook how after this chapter strings have been like connected to lysander at this point and and that's not a good way to go about life. He, he, he has not led his own life in any capacity for most of it. Even, I'd argue, based on this conversation with Cassius, even his time on the Archimedes. He's maybe not a puppet in the same sense, but he was definitely being led to act the way that Cassius wanted him to. So it, it, that's hard to deal with. Something that's very interesting to me that happens right around here is when he starts like shaking and convulsing a little bit and like gets uncontrollable to a certain degree. Are we to believe that this is like extreme nerves or something that's like connected to the mind's eye somehow? I know we know it was solved 
by the pandemonium chair when his memory of his parents were like wiped. But I don't know if this is like separate from that or if it was just like he had this feeling of extreme stress and anxiety when he was thinking about his parents that it caused this physical reaction and Octavia took it away through pandemonium. Or if it's something more supernatural than that with the mind's eye. I don't know. I don't know what to think of it. I don't think there's anything supernatural to it. I think it's more of a natural reaction than anything else. But the fact that the the only other time that he can think about this happening, I think if that's yeah. the case, that speaks to how uncomfortable he is right now and how like fractured he is internally. I would I would assume yeah, I, I think so. I think that, well, I entirely, I think that building up your entire life in, in shrouded in some kind of lie like that, or even like just uncomfortable intrudes that you hold in or just difficult things that you aren't saying can lead you to that point, right? Like that's sort of the, the like 40 year old breakdown because they, a man hasn't gone to therapy in however long it's the same kind of thing. But to your point, with the pandemonium chair and with Octavia, I do feel like that is him having an emotional reaction to the fact that his parents are gone. And so she removed that from him. And so she's removed experiencing pain and loss from him. So he's never had to like grip with it or, or like his way of coping is just literally shutting it down now in part because of the, the chair and otherwise. So that makes sense. It's a moment of weakness physically expunged from him, which is, fucking crazy and yeah. also makes me feel the slightest bit bad for lysander a little bit yeah there's a little bit of tinge of humorlessness there but i'll tell you what i'm not gonna be happy reading lysander chapters in red god <laughs> <laughs> really? i'm not gonna be a happy camper Why? <laughs> really <clears throat> no way but he'll he'll be full villain at that point he proves it right here at the end so that can be interesting in its own right. Ah, oh, man, yeah. But that's, I think that that's a brutal moment and it's tough to parse, but I do think that it really comes down to sort of, I, it's just a real emotional, visceral reaction. He doesn't have coping skills. Do you think? It doesn't show real emotion. He's an actor. He's a puppet. All right, all right. Hear me out. Cassius turned into a real villain when he killed Fitchner and he got redeemed and became a brother. And now we're all sad that he got killed. Do we see anything like that happening with Lysander? I don't see any possibility. <laughs> I see his head on a plate. Yeah. Yeah. With grapes in it. Do you think grapes? I don't know who you'd send it to, though. Yeah, I don't know. His own balls, I guess. I mean, can we just, like, impale him asshole to the mouth? <laughs> no, Atlas is dead, unfortunately. That was his job. Yeah. All right, mouth to asshole then, like the other way around. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. All we right. can invert it. Several will do, right. that. We'll do that. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, okay. he's down for a new calling card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I okay. Let's get there. So shortly thereafter, rounding out kind of that that section here, um, he agrees to the plan to kill Atlas. Pytha comes into the room. And our Iron Gold family is reunited for the first and conveniently the last time. All Very convenient. In the same room. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe it's not convenient, but <laughs> what a beautiful, convenient reunion! What a convenient <laughs> wedding! Oh man, I was totally on Lysander's page here, though, with his paranoia. Um, 
and like his his stress about not being able to confirm Pytha's true identity and nothing that the pair of them did did any good in trying to like dissuade those fears or that stress like Pytha's responses do nothing to address the idea that like oh this could be an imposter and Cassius barely acknowledges the line of inquiry at all it it very easily could have been a ruse but I know Lysander was just so high strung and so paranoid that there wasn't really a reason to feel that way I don't know would have taken a yeah, lot it's... of effort very quickly to compose something like that. It would have. It would have taken him a long time to kind of get out of that. Yeah, I, I do. I do find it really difficult to escape. But at the same time, I think he could probably just call on the guards and like, you know, if if Pytho was someone mysterious, I think he would. I mean, kind of in the depths of <laughs> a massive moonbreaker that, you know, is filled to the brim with people of whom will try to kill someone who kills Lysander. But, you know, still. Still. He might. He could have died. He might. Right. He could have. Yeah. Unfortunately, he didn't. With that, we get to chapter 84, Lysander, Hangar 17B. I'm going to do my best with this chapter. This is the single longest chapter in the novel by a significant margin. And for good reason, I could probably we could probably do an entire episode just on these pair, this pair of chapters alone, breaking down a lot of the things between the relationships and sort of symbolism and talking about. Even the the depths to which Atlas is acting and behaving in the moment, there is so much minutia here and we're going to get into it as much as as possible, but yeah, so if we belabor the point, we're st- I'm sorry, not sorry, but we're going to be talking about this chapter for a while. Yeah, I'm just looking at the notes again right now, and it is well in doubt. Well, well in doubt is a good way of putting it. It is a, <laughs> a thick bastard. Not, yeah, so. Oh, God. That's we so start, of course, in Lysander's perspective, angling to meet Atlas in the hangar he'll arrive in. Cassius is here, wouldn't get the jump on Atlas, but Lysander cannot know where he is, is, otherwise he may give him away to the master tactician. We find this even as he has decoy ships land early, throwing out the jam field and everything like that. Roan also trudges out, following him in full armor, all contained within a jam field. And this whole thing feels like an entirely different game from the get-go. He quickly tells Atlas that the whole thing has gone awry, that Fa is dead. Roan quickly dismisses the attending Gorgons and leaves just the three of them and a couple of other greys to talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those decoy ships and the existence of the jam field in general made me pretty wary. Obviously, Lysander is a pile of nerves here, and we're in his perspective, so his anxious rambling <clears throat> didn't do anything to dissuade that that wariness on my part. But yeah, I was I was ready for shit to go down totally. Yeah, not I mean, not in like it, I, I mean like I was ready for Lysander to get caught off guard. Mm, yeah. I think either way, shit was kind of going down here to some degree, especially because Atlas felt kind of disrespected in the way that he was like, I told you to meet me in the bunker. And Atlas already feels like his lease lease shortened significantly since some of the sort of changing of plans and the reactions of like Mar- Marcus and Demetrius and Drusilla and whatnot over the course of the last couple of chapters. Mm-hmm. There's also 
a lot of the Gorgons are incredibly injured from their trip to Orpheus, which is of, of note, of course. And I definitely we can maybe dive into this with a little bit more specific research and talk about it in the wrap up. But I love the call out of Orpheus and this being the container for the eyed me. Orpheus, of course, being the one of whom had to go rescue his love Eurydice from the depths of Hades and whatnot. But whatnot. Yeah. Popular, popular story, popular mm-hmm. mythological story. Yeah, one of my one of my favorite orchestra pieces that we ever played when I was in when I was a cello player was mm. Orpheus in the Underworld. I don't remember mm. who composed that, but I really like that song. Nice. So Lysander continues to play for time, explaining that it was Darrow who killed Fa here, as nothing seems to be grabbing Atlas's attention. He's kind of just sort of bouncing off, and it seems as though Lysander believes that he might already know all of this. Um, But the conversation continues, and he's not dissuaded with fact after fact. So Lysander drops a big one. He saw Darrow. This gets Atlas's full attention, and he asks a legion of careful questions designed to structure something from nothing. He sends away more Praetorians based on very little information and asks one more question. What did he say to their offer? And man, what a tense scene that this is. He grips his shoulder and asks about the trip to Orpheus and eyed me and whether or not he knew anything about those either. It's fucking intense. It's so fucking intense. Everything is. All of this is. It is masterfully written in the way that Lysander's inner monologue is like just going nuts. He's vibrating with anxiety and you can feel it every single word of it. I do wonder if this shoulder grip at the end is actually what gives him away. Like Lysander assumes at one point that he could feel the scarab skin under his, under his shirt or something like that. Or if that's just more paranoid rambling, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like it is. I feel like it is. He knows that this is going to give him away. I just I, I get the feeling that what's what's the next question that Atlas is going to ask? Why are you wearing scarab skin? He's not going to ask. He's going to attack or maim at the very least, because he's right. like, why are you being so defensive? If you're coming to visit me, that shouldn't be a concern. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the series of questions I particularly love from Atlas because he is able to basically say, Okay, so you entered from this side. He entered from this side. Okay, there's a there's a bunker about 1.3 kilometers east. Go check that. If you find him, do not engage. Otherwise, take scraps of like metal or whatever. And he like lays out these like very clear instructions off of so little information because that is how methodical and ridiculous and tactical and truly impossible to beat he is. It's like impressive. It's super impressive. And it's ridiculous. <laughs> Still the question of, is there a mind's eye component to this? We don't know for sure with Atlas. Or did we did we learn? We kind of think he does based on an interaction that he has with Lysander because he says, don't use the mind's eye on me, boy, back in Dark Age. Right. Try that with me. Um, something like that. So it yeah. seems like he can, which is also another reason that I think throughout the this is more of a general thing. But I think throughout the entire book, part of the reason that Lysander doesn't use the mind's eye nearly as much is because he knows that Atlas knows when he's slipping into it. So he gets good at lying and like not needing to withdraw to hold himself together. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that's why, like, there isn't a whole lot of mind's eye in this book either. But yeah. Whew. So... 
At the point at which he touches the scarab skin, the game is up. Lysander goes for the graze behind him, and Cassius pops out of the cockpit and begins to fire on Atlas with a heavy pulse rifle. Lysander cleaves through the shithead pair of Drusilla and Marcus that have been haunting us all book before taking out the other three behind them. He's struck from behind by several shots from Rome, include Roan, including one that splits his sidearm. This fight is fast, brutal, and efficient. I mean, this is this is. I think the single longest combat scene that Pierce has written, but also feels so like lightning blitzkrieg pace. Yeah, I would argue wow. that there's probably like battle of the, of the Ladon is like several chapters. I yeah, think. but that's not a fight scene. It's not a scene. It's like a bunch of, scenes. yeah, like it's a, okay, war. that's fair. That's a good point. So, Yeah. Yeah, probably. The only Bloody. the only one that I can think of that is close is if you included all of Fa's stuff together. I think you could okay. cohesively. Yeah, that's that's probably true too. Um, but still, I loved. I I, <laughs> I giggled at the single swing taking out both of like Marcus and Drusilla. Just just fuck them, fuck them hard. Mm-hmm. Just, Wonderful, bloody, brutal fight. Now, a question for you. Over the course of this fight, or this chapter, did you... Where where was your head at with Lysander? Did you believe that he was in Camp Cassius, or like pro-Cassius, or like what... What did you think he was going to do? I... I think because like st- this reads really good to me. Like this is a moment in which I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, Lysander, you got him, you know. But in 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 reread, I'm like, yeah, you got him. They sucked. <laughs> I believe. Like, I I truly believed that he was not necessarily going to run off and join Darrow, but I thought he was going to continue working with Cassius. Like I, I believed that there was uh, a path forward where Cassius was. Or where Lysander was kind of a um, a double agent of sorts in comparison to Atalantia and would have been able to dismantle the problematic side, which is all of it, but the more problematic side of the society remnant uh, from the inside. The guy, I truly believe that there was a a righteous plan mm-hmm. in this moment. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, it was not that dissimilar. I I was like, okay, they're going to go through with this. Like, and that means that something is going to happen because we know that they can't. Like, we need Lysander in theory to take out Atalantia easily. So, is this the moment? Is this like our turn? All the faith in the world. Up until there's a couple of lines. <laughs> what mostly sold it for me was how paranoid Lysander was throughout all of this, and like, yeah. And for good reason, like he wasn't lying to himself, even he was betraying Atlas. He was going to kill Atlas. And I think at this point he had no intentions of killing Cassius either. I think even up to the end, he didn't have intentions of killing Cassius. There are some points where that gets touchy. I don't know. But for the most part, I I could be persuaded to believe that he never wanted Cassius to die. Yeah, I'm and we'll we'll definitely talk about this once we get there a little bit more, yeah. but I'm of the opinion that I don't think 
I think the choice was still on the table. Like the choice of whether or not he was going to kill Cassius was still on the table. Yeah. Whether or not he was going to commit to doing it or not had not been settled in his head. So, yeah, I'm I would say it's not that he had ruled it out entirely, but it's that he was still in the maybe camp because that's where Lysander lives. That's even where he lived in the decision. And Atlas patted him on the back for it, you know, moments before from <laughs> where we're talking. So, yeah, big indecision guy, that Lysander. So Atlas is having a really tough time against Cassius's fire, literally boiling his skin inside of his shield, which is crazy just from the heat of the, the bullets. And he quickly gives Roan kill clearance and Roan shows himself to be a truly unique killing machine over the course of the next couple of pages. Lysander attacks, but Roan almost feels like he's toying with him or playing with him and shows that Greys really can stand up against golds at the very least at the very top of their echelon. Yeah. Throughout this entire story, despite all of the accolades and the lessons given to Lysander and everything that we've learned about Roan, Roan still seems to come out of nowhere somehow, just unleashing a punishment of, of brutality against Lysander. Um, I don't know if it was kept secret from Lysander. Uh, he doesn't seem to react in a way that like, oh, this is this is more than he should be able to do mm-hmm. um yeah doesn't seem like caught off guard by it but for whatever reason i always thought of roan as like over the hill and a commander because he's kind of retired from prime fighting status uh nope not not one fucking bit yeah part of part of me i think i thought that because of especially like mentions of his mentorship previously of like holiday and trig and yeah. like there are so many things that just like date him you know he's been old enough and to be so, a mentor for yeah. a very long time yeah exactly so he does kind of feel like he should be over the hill but instead he turns literally into rambo and will not stop and yeah. cannot be stopped somewhere between rambo and the terminator i don't know maybe <laughs> yeah. the predator the predator is more accurate never mind it's just the predator he's got so many gadgets <laughs> <laughs> So the fight continues, and despite being pinned by Lysander's razor, Roan puts up just an incredible fight. He even, like, slides himself up on the razor so that it cuts him worse because he can get a better shot that way. Like, he's very aware of what limits he can and can't push. He's basically just trying to find the moment in which he, in which he can push over and win the fight, it seems. Like, he's willing to take sacrifices and wounds to gain an advantage um, so that he can potentially take him out with a kill shot. He pops out a dagger and buries it in Lysander's chest as he comes for him, puncturing a lung and begins just punching him out, hitting him in the throat a bunch. Roan continues to fight doggedly before Lysander spears him with his razor like a javelin in the shoulder. He rips it out, pops out a boot knife that we had seen earlier from the other pair of Gorgons and then (laughs) charges him dual wielding and barking like a dog, which just absolutely unhinged (laughs) craziness but notably from this exchange he's well practiced with a razor which we know is not typical yeah that allowed that surprised me totally totally Mm -hmm. totally surprised me and i maybe it shouldn't like atlas is one to be as resourceful as possible and i i fervently believe that atlas is the one that taught him how to use the razor i think so for sure but i would have i would have thought that atlas would hold on to that gold only sentiment of razor wielding too i don't know he's anything for the cause though you yeah, know what i mean exactly. like he's anything for the cause 
So I think that's why he would be the one to to do it and commit to it, especially because when they were when, you know, and given Roan wasn't out there in the in the inky black. But I would imagine out there a lot of the obsidians would know how to, too. I'd be shocked if Tha didn't know how to use a razor genuinely. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, his oh, he war does size during is effectively the fight. a yeah. razor. It's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, but he also. But, but he, he grabs, grabs and like at one point. throws it and spear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he does. He does at the very least wield it a little bit. He's not like razor fighting necessarily. But yeah. Oh, God. So, so crazy. I mean, the fight with Roan is just nuts. Uh, the combat moves to closer quarters and Roan pops out another knife, driving it through Lysander's fucking fuck arm. He just continues to stab. <laughs> this one was a chest armor knife. So I don't know where the first one came from. It must have been like a hip knife. Second one was a boot so knife. Third one was knives. chest armor. And it's just like, where the fuck did you get these? My father always mm. said, can't have enough knives, but keep swapping it out. And he's driving it through Lysander's arm and into his cheek. Like he's just jamming that fucker in there, trying to cut through this boy princeling to, to kill him. It's <laughs> tough from a guy that has been like protecting him for books now. Yeah. I mean, we kind of knew that he was shit at the beginning here, but he, he even gets to the point of tickling the roof of his mouth with the blade. He loses Lysander loses two fingers reaching backwards for his razor, grasping the blade instead of the handle, cutting off his ring and his pinky finger. Roan falls after shortly thereafter, sprawling sideways. He swats away the warrior's last attempt as he stands up kind of limping. He throws this black needle at him and Lysander is able to bat that out of the air before Roan mutters his final words. If I was born gold, I'd eat you alive. No blood of Selenius. No before Lysander own cut 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 before Lysander ends the terror with three vertical slashes into the brain. He snags Roan pistol, Roan's pistol, reloads, and returns to Cassius and Atlas. But triple lobotomy is a uh, pretty safe bet in killing somebody, but I was still expecting like just some death rattle, some some shiver or twitch or something in defiance against death from from this guy i feel like something like that would happen in in an adaptation just a just a little shudder considering everyone else twitches you know what i mean like cassius twitches he has a seizure is what they say when he's dying atlas twitches and then kind of like falls over you know i mean it's shocking yeah. that roan doesn't but i think that's why he gets the three is like do not get up <laughs> <laughs> Under any circumstances. Yeah. Oh, God. What a fight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Lysander almost got owned by Gray, but. (laughs) Hmm. Maybe maybe you should stop thinking so much about superiority. Yeah. Yeah. Fair point. So, man. From that moment, as mentioned, we return to Cassius and Atlas. And wow, what a fight theirs is as well. I cannot wait for an adaptation so that we can kind of see the moments cutting between these sort of conflicts or the way that they interweave with each other, even forward and backward as you see them dimensionally across the space. It will be very, very cool because we really come upon this mostly at the remnants. We approach the end here and Cassius is missing his right hand suddenly fighting with his left. His leg appears to be a little bit of limp limping. 
Atlas is not doing great either. He's been boiled from his suit, overall wounded in his leg, I believe, in addition to his arm. Lysander tries to aim to shoot Atlas, but he can't because his left eye is damaged again, the same eye that he'd replaced post-Dark Age and that Darrow had damaged. But just like after his conflict with Darrow and Mercury, as I mentioned, in the duel, they continue and show that they're well-matched. There's even this moment where Atlas one-handed vaults over Cassius and stabs him in the shoulder a couple of times, which is crazy. But Cassius wins in the end with patience, wrapping Atlas's neck with the razor, and the Fear Knight is brought to his knees. But he's actually standing. <laughs> he's kind of just standing yeah. there because he does topple over later. Yeah, here's here's further proof, I think, in my head that... Lysander truly didn't want Cassius to die because this could have easily been a shot to kill both of them or a couple shots. Mm -hmm. He he couldn't get a clear shot without Cassius being in the way on Atlas. It would have fucked up his plan, like his his claim about like who killed who. But I think he would have taken that chance to guarantee Atlas's death a little bit sooner. Yeah, just would have fucked up with his little theatrical narrative that he concocts. Yeah, if he had wanted, if he had from the get-go wanted to kill Cassius, there's no reason he would have taken the shots there. Mm -hmm. You just spray. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With the one exception being, it's really hard to pin Atlas's death on Cassius if they both died of the same gun. Yeah, very true. Very true. That would be a very difficult, difficult thing to do. Although that is kind of the way that it goes anyway, right? Like, yeah, it's true. What the fuck? But then he burns the body, so it doesn't matter. Mm. Yeah. CSI really takes a dive later on. I feel like they could figure out burned bodies nowadays. Did they just lose all of their ability to do so in, in the distant future well i think it's more like the the bullet right like what would you what would you find you know and the fires are hotter pj <laughs> don't you know and Bones lysander controls more sauce yes yes there's that there's probably <laughs> that that's probably the one actually that matters Guyber's kind of a shit <laughs> to say the least but oh man yeah you're not finally being brought down though that conflict is so cool to see and to see Atlas be defeated by Cassius, you know, despite everything that comes after this, is also such a win for him to have brought down arguably the most terrifying villain in this series up until this point. Um, I just wish he would have gotten the actual kill, you know? He gets credit for it. He did all the work. I agree with you. Difficult. Difficult to parse. <laughs> We'll talk about that in a moment here. <laughs> it's, it's, that's probably the most that we have to unpack with this chapter is is that. So, yeah, there, there's this moment as well that happens. Lysander internally remarks on something here that haunts me out of all of the moments that we've talked about. By the time we end the chapter, well before we end, but by the time we end this little section, it, it haunts. And then especially by the end of the book, it's it's worse. But he says in his head, the light is green. I wish Pytha could see. We've won. We've won. I stumble toward Cassius, searching the deck for my prize. So this feels weirdly like a great Gatsby reference. What do you mean? Looking like at the green light off the dock. Across the yeah. water. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Pining over something that 
can never be. That's interesting. That's actually, that's, huh. I don't know, though. Actually, interesting. I think you're... It's been a long time since I've read The Great Gatsby, too, so... No, no, I no, think... you're totally right, because the the whole thing is, like, then they die in the car crash, right? Like, the Green Lights uses sort of the, the large metaphor for a lot of the book, and then in mm-hmm. the end, it's the three the three that we're talking about that die in, in the car crash or in the results, and it's part of because they were, well... Is like the illusion of the light. I don't know. There, there are components there, but I, I like that. I hadn't considered that at all. Good one. Good. Slipped a literary reference into you. Yeah, you, you got me. <laughs> you got me good. I hadn't thought about that at all. That was good. It does. I'm gonna have to think on that a little bit more. We're gonna, we're gonna come back to that maybe in the wrap up, and I want to take that apart a little bit more. I like that. I like that idea or that reference because it does, it evokes very similar feelings because it is sort of this, I mean, for, for us in this story, it's the complete family and the potential for them to be that. Right. And otherwise I think it's mostly used as like the unattainability of love for the group of people involved. And I I think there's also be true to each other lying to himself because he, I, yeah. Well, I don't think he yeah. knows yep. that he's going to kill Cassius here at this moment. I think he knows that they're not getting together as a family. He knows he's betraying yeah. Cassius at this moment already. In in this moment, he knows that he's betraying Cassius and regardless. Pitha. Like he's he's pinning this. Yes. So yeah. saying we've won yeah. is it's we've won now. And I'm about yeah. to change that. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it does feel like pining a little bit or wanting. Mm-hmm. Wow. I love that. All right. I'm cracking the beer here. I'll do the same. The whiskey's going to come out in a moment. <sighs> but so Lysander orders Cassius to kill Atlas and he pauses just long enough for Atlas to sneak in information. Atlas with like dying throws basically says, Ask Lysander about the weapon. Selenius's biological. Eed me. It can target a color. Any color. On any. He isn't allowed to finish the sentence as Lysander shoots him in the head and his brains turn into mist. He teeters and falls, crumbling to the ground with a bored smile still blazoning his face. The Fear Knight is dead. I totally expected like a nest of wires and circuit boards and sparks coming out of this motherfucker's head. (laughs) (laughs) I was really expecting something not actually human. Like I wires and circuits and sparks and stuff is, is a stretch, but like, yeah, I expected something, but now he's just a dude, just a dude who can wear other people's faces. You want to talk conspiracy brain for a moment. My conspiracy brain was on fire here. And I think it's tough when Pierce has also shown that the Fear Knight wears other faces for me to not go, well, would someone else wear his face? They wouldn't be able to tell if he wasn't wearing his skin because the skin burned anyway. Yeah. In the suit. He didn't look that closely at it. There are a whole bunch of um, decoy ships that came in. I don't know. Yeah, he's arguably a very smart dude. So I do believe that he's dead, though. That's like a 5% holdout. Maybe it's a 2% holdout. I like just the because idea. I do enjoy Atlas as a character, and that feels like he's it would such be a good character. something. But. He's such a disgusting, yeah. horrible, awful 
vile person, but is such a good character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's despicable in a fun way. I think just because of how he's written in particular. But yeah. Yeah. He's dead. Missed. Topples over. Falls to the ground. Fix once. Dies. Hmm. So we move then to Lysander trying to give Cassius an out as Cassius comes to grip with the pack between them and the awful possibility contained within. He doesn't have a whole lot of time, of course, to pierce this sort of information and piece it together. But Lysander acknowledges the damage that Atlas's last words have caused and calls the Eid me his his chance for peace, despite Cassius even being able to work out the etymology being close to eat me and just sort of the danger of this prospect. Yeah, it's disgusting. It's hard for me to wrap my head around the idea that Lysander was able to break the illusion a little bit of what Atlas was doing and kind of shake himself free of that, but still holds on to this Atlas's understanding of the weapon of Eid Me. I am curious how close the etymology is to eat me. It's not that far off. It's actually like if you were to look it up, that's pretty close. Consume, I think, is the word not eat, but mm-hmm. kind of that's the idea, right? Is that yeah, they, like they, Cassius doesn't fully know or understand. They break it so, down saying that it branches into edit early yeah. on in the book. But right. Yeah. Consume makes yeah. more sense. Yeah, there are a lot of questions, I think, that are around eyed me here and i think that it's it's proper to like think and consider atlas's perspective so as opposed to entertaining a lot of theory here while we're trying to break down the text i've added that one to our list of for sure wrap-up questions to talk about because there is a lot that can go into like atlas is so smart that is eyed me entirely like a false flag could it be something that was like meant to be like an, an invisible weapon to be held that actually doesn't do any like there are a lot of like giant question marks around this and like why does he utter it in the end does he think that lysander is worse than cat like we can go down that rabbit hole for a long time and i definitely want to i feel like that's a wrap-up conversation though yeah totally do we have a document already made up for Quetta? no i certainly use the bottom of this one but okay okay so just as long as we it's can, like we can start that somewhere document. i'd yeah, love no, to I, remember to do that I did. I did write that one down immediately as I was starting to do even most of this chapter. I was like, how much do I put in and how much do I put into a wrap up? I was like, well, I also don't want the wrap up to just be about this chapter. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But it's uh, a pretty pivotal chapter. It's true. It's true. Mm -hmm. In a bunch of a bunch of different ways. But to bring up something that you kind of hinted at of like what's Atlas's motivation for bringing this up to Cassius. Atlas is really fucking smart. And I think mm-hmm. this, I think he probably recognizes that this knowledge damns Cassius too. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I think, I think it's probably a jab debate that this. wins that fight. I don't know. I want to debate this, but I this is one that we could go on for a long time about, and I think we can definitely do that with a special guest of whom we will definitely have on the show to talk specifically about this part. Because he has a little bit of redeeming to do with with his Lysander <laughs> talk. So. All right. Perfect. But 
watch yeah, him come I, and I defend have... him. Watch him do it. No, 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 no. <laughs> We've talked long and hard about this. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm particularly excited, and I feel like this this fits the bill. And I think that this conversation can sprawl in so many directions that I'm just gonna we're just gonna excise that one, and you're gonna have to come back. <laughs> Perfect. Sounds good. Because to your point, I have four other points that we could wander down forever, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I think are are worthwhile to consider. But it's it's a branching path. It's as complicated as any decision in Baldur's Gate three. Not that hard. You just press a button. Yeah, but like the, the long-term impacts, PJ, the long-term impacts. Cool. Lysander <laughs> has a fucking internal quote here um, that shook me when I was reading it for the first time in which I knew the choice that was being made once again. And I sent you the screenshot earlier because I was taking notes while I was sitting in this coffee shop doing this read-along and I highlighted the quote and put a little note that I'll, I'll read in a moment here. But the quote is, a loaded pistol can weigh 24 ounces or a lifetime of regret. And I sent you the quote and it says, oh, my fucking God, with a period after it. And that's all. And then I just had to keep reading. I like didn't have any any other thoughts in the moment. I just went, no, no, no. <laughs> this yeah. cannot be what's happening right now. Yeah, very similarly to that, just. Immediately upon reading that, it was sinking black dread in my mind. Mm-hmm. A very, very well-placed, well-worded sentence within this chapter on Pierce's part. I I yeah. love how succinct that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a lot of that. I mean, there... I, I'm going to I'm going to just read a bunch of quotes for the rest of this almost not quite there. There are questions and talking points, but a lot of this is just so well written um, that it was tough to not just put all the quotes in. And at the same time, I feel like I don't do justice if we don't. So I just did. So fuck it. We're going to keep going. But that started this sort of spiral of what is the rest of this chapter. And I think it's also when Lysander starts to realize that the decision has to be made sooner than he probably wanted to or thought it was going to have to be. Yeah. Even then he begs, he begs for, I don't know. It, it's so hard for me to like figure out what's going on in his head. And I think it's probably hard for Lysander to parse what's happening in his own head. Still ask Cassius to leave. But I don't know. It, it makes me feel like he's trying to get away with killing Cassius without actually maintaining eye contact with him almost mm. like it feels rehearsed it feels certain yeah yeah there's definitely something there i mean as we come to the point like cassius laughs just a little bit and he has to come to terms suddenly with who he's facing down and how wrong he was about lysander on the whole and that hurts I think, you know, to like place your faith in someone that way and then to have them come back and bite you even puts it back in no uncertain terms towards him saying, you use me for that, for this, to cut your strings and pin it all on me, the betrayer. To which Lysander responds with a simple yes before Cassius's heart shatters in real time as Lysander says that they're not brothers and that he will be sovereign. He'll have his little fucking morning chair. Mm hmm. Yeah, this Howdy little child. This in in conjunction with that, the weight of a pistol quote just feels feels like his mind was made up beforehand, 
and it, like it's counter to everything that I've been feeling from like the fight scenes and his pleas for him to leave and not. Uh, I think I, I do have some some agreement with you. I feel like he probably wouldn't be allowed to leave. The only thing that gives me pause in that assessment is um, the fact that he does let Pytha leave so easily. Right. Yeah. Like, that's, I think that's that there is too. a genuine possibility that he might have let him go. But I think Pytha, at this point, he, his mind is practically he made lets up. Pytha go because it allows him to set traps. He knows what information she has and knows exactly like who she's going to with it. So he can kind of use counterintelligence and, and I don't know. He knows what they know now and he can work around it. Whereas with Cassius, mm-hmm. he is too wily and too adept. Pytha also doesn't Pytha know anything is, about Eidme. Pytha hmm? also doesn't know anything about Eidme. Also you true. Know? Also, also, also true. But neither did Cassius before this, so, which is uh, kind of where I'm debating. I think after Eidme, yeah, totally. Wasn't going to be allowed to leave. Yeah. But I, I'm, I'm wondering even before Eidme if, if he had plans on executing Cassius anyway. I don't know. I don't fucking know. I think it's I think it's good and healthy that we we kind of debate when that choice is made. And I really I really like sort of that that side of the conversation. I do know that Pierce did say within that interview, that one interview that I watched, which they did talk a lot about this scene. He did cite not necessarily the moment in which a decision was made, but he was still of a split mind. Like in, in this moment, he still wasn't settled, like just in general throughout the chapter. And I. I would have to double check and I'm not even going to say it anyway because I don't want to a put words in his mouth but B I think that the whole point of our experiment is not to make something care so much about the sort of authorial intent so much as what we see from the page and what the text gives us so yeah um, to that point you know this is we'll talk about it later but I yeah I'm with you I'm with you it's like a constant juggling and it's a constant question and it's painful constantly Mm -hmm. constant 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 yeah. Um, yeah. So they return to the Idemy that sits between them. Cassius asks rhetorically, but it's safe in your hands, to which Lysander says back, practically pleading for his fucking morning chair, for this place in glory, for his place in history, for his inheritance. If I don't control it, someone else will. Why not me? I didn't start the war. I've only ever tried to do what is right. Why not me? Cassius, ever hopeful, bright man, replies, your strings are cut, Lysander. You're free. We can take on Atalantia. Is that not enough? So damn close. So damn close. I I really feel like if Lysander had a couple of days just chilling <laughs> on the Archimedes with Cassius, Diomedes, Darrow, Severo, Lyria, Ore. We'd be dead if Severo was there, just to be clear. <laughs> it wouldn't matter. Yeah. But yeah. All right. Everybody's got like no knives. Bindings. <laughs> like everybody's yeah. just sitting, they're talking, they can't physically touch each other. I think that I think that they could have gotten through to him. And I think he could have I think some arguments could have been made that could have swayed him to act a little bit differently here in this moment. But they didn't feel like they needed to do anything more because he went along with their plan and 
Yeah, it's it's honor, right? He betrayed the honor that both Diomedes and Cassius said that he had, right? It's this slippery thing. No, it's a slippery thing when it's in your hands, my boy, because you don't actually believe that honor is real and tangible. You've proven that time and time again here. And I think that this is this like on top of that, he, he says, I've only ever tried to do what is right. No, what you've done is you've survived. It's what Cassius said before. You've shapeshifted to live. And and that's a sucky way of like having to go through life in order to survive that way. Like definitely understand really bad time for Lysander can get that can get like you were saying last week that it feels like Lysander has never had a choice, but he's always had a choice. It's just that they don't always lead to him surviving, which isn't great, but there's still choices along the way that he could have made. That were different. I mean, going back even to Iron Gold, his choice to not listen to Cassius is what led them to get caught, which then leads to this whole cascading thing. Like he's had he's had many choices throughout mm-hmm. time. And and oh, God, I can't I can't do that without talking yeah. about the very next moment, which it, it gets to choice. Right. It's the quote. Um, yeah. Before we get there, though, like just to just to kind of argue a little bit against that. Sure. Yes, there are choices that he could have made and yes, they would have killed him. And it it takes a very, very exceptional person to make a choice that they know will kill them. And like, Diomedes, Cassius and Darrow all did it, though, this book. Very, you know what I mean? Like, very, all of very them. exceptional people. Yeah. And yeah. I don't think almost anyone should be faulted for for decisions that like for not taking the choice that kills them. But he also made choices that killed his friends. So he did make choices along the lines that made his that's situation fair. worse yeah, as well. Yeah, that's like, true. He he has had he has had ranges of options. Maybe not always the best options, but he chose intentionally. Like he could have stayed with Alexander and given himself over. That entire thing that happened, like he could have in Dark Age, he could have turned around right then. I mean, true. there there are so many moments in this book. Has he had a whole ton of choice? No, I think he's been puppeted pretty clearly and he can't escape it. But that's, I think, because of cascading choices that he's made over the course of time. I can get behind that. Like this book, not a whole lot in the way of choices outside of when he stands up for the 100 speech and that gets Glorosti's killed. Like that is a clear choice that he is making. And that's maybe the biggest choice that he's making up until this moment. Mm -hmm. You're right. Yeah. Well, I, I don't I don't think it's a right or wrong thing. No. I just think that there's like a lot of but. there's a shocking amount there to talk about. There's and I think that that is going to be a core discussion, especially during Red God, is at what point could Lysander's path have changed? And I think the reality is any of them, a lot of different points could it have changed. It could have changed when he was offered the choice with Darrow and Diomedes. Like he had that choice right there recently. Yep. Even. Totally. Yeah. Hmm. he's given he's given choices it sucks okay let's <laughs> talk about choice we're i we're gonna end up talking about lysander so much in any of the wrap-ups it's impossible not to of course but continuing on through the chapter here of course that can't be the end as cassius refuses to leave lysander says that he is choosing death cassius says back in an indictment of all that lysander has ever been and ever co- possibly could be no lysander you choose that's the point of it all isn't it you choose 
The chair means this much to you, more than the people in your life who love you, and nothing changes or shakes in the loon boy at that indictment, which is when I gave up on Lysander. This is totally 100% an Obi-Wan Kenobi Anakin moment. I was so happy when you put in that little tiny note because I was like, it is, and I don't want to explicitly say it. I'm wondering if you got the same vibe. Oh, because it is. Completely. This is exactly like you were supposed to be the chosen one. (laughs) Better though. (laughs) Elevated. I don't get it. (laughs) Ugh. Mm. Yep. Beautiful, beautiful, tragic scene. It is such a good scene, and it is so tragic. It's such a strong showing, I mean, by by all accounts, for, for the pair of them. And, I mean, he's he's trying his damnedest. He's, he's doing, he's stretching beyond the depths of friendship. He's already been insulted. He's already lost all of his will that he had for the man is degrading, and Lysander is just telling him, I'm not who you think I am. I'm not who you think I am. And he's like... But you, even if you're not who I think I am, you can still be a good person. And that just continues to dissolve as we continue down this path. To the point where Cassius says, you're being ridiculous. In the end, I'll be more famous than you anyway. He's just kind of throwing his life because he knows that it's already forfeit, because he knows what he's going to do. Cassius has made up his mind at this point. Mm-hmm. It's Lysander's cool. choice to make a different decision. And he says, Cassius Bologna, the man who killed fear. A final note of grandioseness from our boy. He dares Lysander to kill him, saying, you won't kill me. You love me too much. The guilt will crush you. Before Lysander replies, I will learn to bear it. Cassius again returns, no, you won't. But if it must be guilt that drags you down, brother, I will be your millstone. And brings up one final story between the two of them before his final stand. About going and getting candy at a candy store. The response is perfect. It's fucking perfect. And I I can see this totally haunting Lysander, but I can also see him purging it all from his memory whenever he regains access to pandemonium, if he does. Yeah, I I think I could see him purging all of his time with with Cassius from his memory. And Atlas, I would say. And Atlas. Because, I mean, he suffered greatly at the hand of atlas as well yeah he's going to make himself into the person that he strives to be in the books in the history books like he he wants to yeah i I agree with you Mm -hmm. totally self-motivated and uh (laughs) self-accomplished they have access to pandemonium (sighs) still right I believe we think we think. Okay. Yeah, we believe I actually I believe that the pandemonium chair was disassembled. I took it apart. Yep. And and produced the but repurposed a lot of different things from it. So, yeah, pandemonium Basically itself reverse may not be there, but it's not like it. the technology is gone. Yeah. 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 All right. The quote. <laughs> it's t- it's time for the fucking quote. The the last of our boy. So <laughs> Lysander says, basically, he's he's encouraging him. He's cheering. He's he's like saying, you know, don't don't do this. You don't have to. And Cassius replies, I must. I am Cassius Bologna, son of Tiberius, son of Julia, brother of Darrow, morning night of the Solar Republic. And my honor remains. He charges forward to Lysander towards his death. Lysander fires at him and remembers and sees only the good things as he guns his friend down. 
The razor stops just shy of getting to him. And in a moment, Lysander feels unclear on whether or not Cassius chose to kill him or not in the very end. I I don't believe that he would have killed him. I don't think he would have. I don't think he could take it. Yeah. Maybe. But. Nah. I do appreciate that in this reiteration of that time that he was in the bleeding place. Um, repeats that my honor remains line, obviously, but drops mm-hmm. the owl in his name. Yeah. Even though he's not amongst anybody else within the Republic, he's just with Lysander. He still maintains that. Yeah. And it's it's also there, there are two interesting components here. It's not the first time that he's done it this chapter. He also did it earlier when he says Cassius Blona, the man who killed fear. That's um, true. So very, very similar at the very least there. But I, I think that that harkens to the same point of like, it's not for anyone. It's for him. It's what he believes in. It's like the family that he's found and found acceptance in finally. So he owns that. He owns his sort of like name and what he thinks there, which I think is great in these last moments, especially as like one of the last two Bolognas. It's just him and Julia. So that's it. Blind yeah. dies here. Mostly we assume that Julia probably can't have kids or wouldn't have kids at this point, but might not be the case. I mean, they're so fucked with their like – yeah. patriarchal society that I don't think it'd be a Bologna if if she had a child Fair or someone point. else. Fair enough point. To to kind of add to the mix, just returning back to the scene and just for a moment, to your point of I don't think he would have killed him. I don't think so either. I think he probably could have or would have. He could have thrown the razor at him. I mean, like there are so many things yeah. that he could have done if he wanted to kill him. And like specifically he even Lysander remarks that he's slow and he remarks on all these things. And that's when he says that he, he sees only the good in him in that moment. And I think that it's like a game of chicken and part of him doesn't believe that Lysander will pull the trigger. And so that's why I don't think he was going for a killing blow regardless. No, no, I don't yeah. believe it at all. You're I, yeah. I, I don't think he could have stopped himself from dying in any way. Right. But I think he could have taken Lysander out with him if he wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think there's also that. Like I, I think there's a situation spreads, where they draw, right? but I don't think there's a situation where he wins without dying to cat or to Lysander's bullets. Yeah, I think he I think his resolve was to let Lysander live regardless. Right? Mm-hmm. If Lysander doesn't shoot, I'm not gonna stab him. If Lysander does shoot, I'm not gonna stab him. You know? Yeah. Like it's it's a prisoner's gambit. And he was never going to turn him in. Yep. And to that point, I'm crying. It's fine. I've cried every time I've read this scene. I've cried four times today over the scene. I can't believe I still have emotions about this at this point, just because I've re-experienced it so much. This is the moment, of course, where I had to walk outside of the coffee shop and I heave sobbed because I couldn't do it inside, which was really weird. I came back in, I ordered a fucking muffin, and the lady at the counter was like, and I've been waiting to tell this story for a long time on the show, <laughs> for the record. But the lady at the counter, I bought two coffees that day, one muffin, and I came back in crying, and she was like, is everything okay? Did something happen? And I went, oh, I just haven't eaten a lot today. And that's what I said. Went back down to a chair and finished the book. <laughs> <laughs> how'd she respond to that 
she just said okay and like just it bounced off you know like when you say something weird to someone that they don't know how to respond with it just bounces off and she's like okay i'll get the coffee for you don't worry or the muffin for you don't worry about it and i've been in situations like that as a bartender too Mm -hmm. like it'll either bounce off or you just all right they don't want to talk you have like a fun conversation or yeah whatever yeah. I, I've never, I've never like tried to dig. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not that kind fair, of bartender. I'm not like the Cheers yeah. kind of bartender. <laughs> I, yeah, fair enough. If they don't want to talk about it, I'm not gonna pry. Yeah, yeah, that was a lot, but that was this was the moment where I walked outside <laughs> and it was raining at this point. Oh no! And the coffee shop was gonna close before Aaron was gonna be able to pick me up, so I had to. <laughs> I had to stand outside the rain after <laughs> traveling all day, <laughs> crying at this book. <laughs> how many how many hours were you at this coffee shop? Like five, six? Yeah, yeah five. It was like five hours. Yeah. Coffee shop was a whole bit. Not a bit of the podcast, though. But it, it's been fun to like think back and reference back to it because it has been like a long... My experience with this book was starkly different than yours, of course. Like, they always are because I just have different experience because I'm blitzing through. I'm reading them at whatever pace or whenever, you know, in my life and then bringing them to you in a specific format to experience in a specific way. So. Very controlled. I'm going to go rogue one of these times and, and yeah, I finished the book. I fucking did it, dude. I fucking did it. Are you ready to talk about it? And I'm like, no, I don't remember shit about the end of the blade itself right now. <laughs> Uh, okay so needless to say our man dies smiling his razor falling out of his hand lysander leading him to the ground gently and cassius bologna beloved champion morning night of the republic despite there being no other nights (laughs) um dies i need to pour another drink for the chin i i have a little honorable chin as well cassius bologna you get some great Irish whiskey. Uh, I don't. I don't know if you have five age bullet bourbon. Particularly fond of Irish whiskey, but he was fond of Lyria. So there's the connection. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers! Cheers! I have scotch now, and it made more sense to me to do whiskey than to do scotch because because of like the recollection thing. And he is drinking whiskey more often than scotch. I think he even comments once that like Darrow has like a predilection for scotch and he doesn't necessarily have the same. Not that I think that he would turn away liquor, but I believe that that's a moment inside of the book somewhere here. I will ask a friend to confirm that for me later, but yeah, I believe it. I don't have scotch, Oof. so I grabbed mm. whiskey. I had a scotch. Yeah. Again, for Lauren, for Darrow, for Roke, maybe, but not for Cassius mm. whiskey, whiskey for Cassius. Yeah, it seems like Daryl likes scotch mostly because of Lorne. I think so. I would also say that that's why. Cool. So, Lysander picks up Eidme. Cool. Dope. I don't. I really don't know how to like end this chapter. The toddler because, like a nuclear. Now I no longer warhead. care about Lysander. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It's T- a, toddler with a grenade. Is that what you said? A nuclear warhead. <laughs> oh, different. <laughs> Very different. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Well, yeah. it's not that different. The different is scale. Yeah. Insert meme of that house exploding in Virginia yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Me, if I had Lysander's home address. Anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
anyway. Uh, fuck. Cut, I don't cut, know, cut. man. Look into the cut, news cut and see that, if this probably. is problematic <laughs> to talk about. Yeah. Man, but that house went up, didn't it? It's it really kind of crazy. It, <laughs> it really, <laughs> like, went. <laughs> yeah. yeah there's like a, Which is why there's I think thing. it was a gas fire, even though I don't know. I don't or think a gas so. explosion. But, like, just yeah. the way it, like, whooshes out of, like, the windows, and then... I don't know. It could have just been bad audio. It was like traffic signal. Yeah, it was. It was some person with a phone. Yeah, you know, at four in the morning. Yep. Yeah. Oh, this is the most I've cried in an episode of this podcast for sure. Like, there's no doubt. I've like, I've like maybe teared up a couple of times. Like, I cried for that character's death in Jade Legacy. I cried for. I don't know if I cried during Mistborn. I think the only time I've cried while recording something has been for Petunia. That's fair. Valid. Valid, valid, valid. Yeah. Did you did you tear up at all for Cassius when when you hit the moment when he died? We have different no. emotional reactions and that's fine, but I'm just curious about No, I more I, for I, like maybe I can't think of a any passage of a book that I've cried over. Hmm. Which isn't to say that like that's not like I'm not trying to be all macho or anything like that, but like it just no 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 haven't. everyone everyone reacts differently. I don't think that's macho or anything. I've been I think I've mentioned I think I mentioned this even last episode. I've been like more like emotionally fragile or two episodes ago like more like I don't I wouldn't call it fragile, but like there are certain things that have warmed their way in that now make me cry, which I don't understand. They're new, which is weird. Mm-hmm. We talked about this already, so I don't need to rehash it. But yeah, yeah. I think I've gotten close with with some like I feel like Vin at one point mm. there was a there was a near welling yeah, yeah. of tears reaction but I, I can't remember yeah also I definitely I'm so bad at about... remembering things that happened to me in general that it's totally possible Fair. that I've cried every single book I've read and I just don't remember it. Does someone know. have a pandemonium chair <laughs> that you, that's extracting your memories? Is that what's going on? Do we need to have a conversation? Where's Caleb? We're on the doll. <laughs> she's she's downstairs. She's at work. Oh, she's downstairs today. Okay. Okay. Anyway, we need to march forward a little bit in this, just because we're only two goddamn chapters. <laughs> we're not done. We're so much with this chapter. We 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 are over halfway. We already went up with this chapter. Yeah. There was one other thing I wanted. To, oh, relating to character death and crying. So, one insert that I want to put in here from the Hill Reaper guys, of course, in their interview with Pierce, is he said one of the most emotional moments for him isn't the the cassius death is very emotional but the one that gets him is the darrow moment later that's the one that makes makes him cry every time they need to edit writing it and rereading it all the time like mm-hmm. that's the one that breaks him down which i also get yeah i get so, that kind of an interesting comparison but no i get that yeah. because i mean i think that's closer to the the way that it's presented from this like third person perspective or not third person but this outside person's perspective feels much more like a an analogous read of what he's feeling too like we just got back together Mm -hmm. we just we just we just found this this partnership again Mm -hmm. and that that feels probably more in line with how he feels about it than trying to put himself into the emotions of either of the characters fighting with each other yeah yeah or like yeah right 
or like Lysander's muted emotions of which he has to write, you know, and has Mm -hmm. to make him feel muted. And like in this glorious moment in which I punched him full of 18 bullets, saving one that he could have killed himself with, I guess. (laughs) Fuck. I mean, glad he contemplated it. But beyond that, that was kind of mean. No, I am too. I don't think that about a lot of people, but Lysander earned it in this book, finally. I think that Um, would have been a good death for him. It would have been acceptable. It would have been better than surviving. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, (laughs) at this point, guys wielding biological weapons and I'm not I'm not happy about it. All right. Just because we have to get on, let's get let's get out of this chapter so we can talk about (laughs) Darrow. We then cut to, and I'm mostly leading that side of like continuing to linger in the shit. So I'm, I'm going to just press forward. So we then cut to Lysander confronting Demetrius of whom is sent to kill the raw while Kyber is actually sent after him to execute the remaining members of Nihilus, the Zero Legion. Shocking, horrifying, but real. I mean, which is cool. Like it, it's kind of, it's interesting that so quickly Lysander has assembled the other side of this plan of okay kyber go go do that and she's more than willing to of course and you you obviously know that they need to die as they know the truth that atlas is dead because he says that to them of which he has he kind of holds to his chest it seems within the society but not within the republic he's okay with the republic knowing that atlas is dead but he's not okay with the society did you notice that throughout it's weird. weird it is weird. Yeah, he's like going to kind of wield Atlas as a tool of fear, I think, going forward. Yeah. I think there there's a lot of reasons for it. Um, right, naturally. I think he could probably fairly easily pass it off as a, like, um, counterintelligence propaganda campaign. Like, uh, mm-hmm. sowing, sowing bad information to the Republic, like intentionally spreading this, this lie, but Mm -hmm. saying like, I I sent Atlas out to, to deal with this obscure thing or whatever. Yeah. I think he could do that. And also Lysander again has started to behave like Atlas anyway. So like, who's to say that he couldn't come up with whatever the plan is and operate that way. Yeah, maybe I'm putting a lot of faith in him at that point to do (laughs) that, but I don't think he's, he's not as competent. He's not, competent in it he just like has been led to get the same yeah. way yeah he gets it he's not competent in it. Good yeah point. so something that this section made me think about is jam field technology and how mm. it actually like mechanically works um because like pulse armor and electronics still work within like encompassed within a jam field so hypothetically, if there was a camera, which I'm assuming there are cameras all over this fucking cam- like the Lightbringer, like I'm I'm, mm-hmm. I'm assuming there are cameras everywhere. Yeah. So any cameras that are entirely enclosed within this jam field, do they still function? Like, are they still recording what's happening within the jam field? I don't think that they can transmit outside of it. But if there's like local recording on a camera. In this hangar 17B, does that stay intact? I would assume so. So the the thing the thing that I would say about jam fields is they seem to be 
I would call them like effectively illegal. Like they are obviously a problem as they've been spoken about consistently throughout the series. Like the fact that Fitchner uses one in Red Rising, he cites as like a real big bad no-no. And I think similarly throughout the entire series, they're kind of derided as a sort of like last resort kind of a thing. So, yeah, I would imagine that it would if they recorded locally, but I think that there aren't that many that are used that frequently. And so they aren't common. Okay. If that makes sense. It's not like a common consideration for a camera. That's fair. It would just be very interesting to to find a little SD card on this camera. Yeah, I to- I totally agree with you. And I think that if they recorded that way, it- so speaking to the technology capability, if it records that way, I think it would be fine. I think that's how the technology would define itself. However, I think it's so rare or rarefied that they probably wouldn't do that. Not only that, but this whole society is designed around golds. Who's going to have jam fields? The golds are going to have jam fields. What are they going to want? Not having access to that. Right. Yeah. Like they're going to want that to work and prevent that part of the process. So they're probably not going to insulate against it as well. That's fair. But like that's that's kind of a a dance around way of getting to that conclusion. So it'd be cool to have a firm answer, but I, I think I'm in your camp. If it were recorded lo- locally, I think it'd be fine. Obviously can't transmit. So wouldn't be able to, if that's the case. Okay. I just, I so badly want <laughs> to get fucked by yeah. some, some SD card out of a, a shitty old webcam that's sitting in the top of the, the hanger. I don't know. Yeah, that'd be nice. I'd love that if Pytha, Pytha set up a webcam of the whole thing or like mm-hmm. it leaks at some point. Yeah. Imagine. Imagine the damage that that would do. Mm-hmm. I would love to see Cassius come back in that fashion. It'd be pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Onward. Finally, we're two hours into recording and we've done two chapters. <laughs> we've got Half of the notes. more. <laughs> <laughs> Half of the notes. Cut, cut, cut. So, we're in the middle of recording this episode, and we've come to realize that it is already very long. So, we are going to come back to you tomorrow with the other half of this episode. Today, what you're getting to listen to is 83 and 84, obviously, and tomorrow we will be presenting you with 85 through 89 to round this out as a full two-parter. I had I had a thought that this was going to be this long, and we both did at the beginning of the episode. Even when we looked at the notes, we hoped maybe that we wouldn't. But at the same time, it deserves the amount of time. So double episode this week is a treat. That'll be fun. Yeah, it, it's it's going to be a long one. I think like there, there's no way that we would be able to release it as a single episode. I think. Even by size, like this is going to be five hours or six hours of recording. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So it's, it's going to be, it's going to need to be split regardless. We might as well save ourselves a little bit and split the recording too. Yeah. So with that tomorrow, you will get 85 through 89. And if you have any other questions or things like that, or even thoughts that you want to drop in, um, do it because we would love to hear your thoughts as it relates to Cassius's death, but it'll also be nice to approach the rest of the episode as a separate chunk. It, it's kind of it'll let me rethink it because I'm not going to lie. I don't want to talk about Lysander's chapter right now in 88, and I think I can approach it more rationally and reasonably if I have a little bit of distance from 84. Yeah. So, yes, very excited to do that. So that'll be a part of the plan. 
again, because we are approaching our postseason that we haven't really talked a whole lot about yet, we have a number of guests lined up. I'd, I'd anticipate about four or five episodes somewhere in there before we start First Law. So very excited. Keep that in mind. And then and there we'll begin that trek. So any questions that you want us to answer in any of those post episodes, though, we've got a number of guests, including a lot of returning folks that you've you've seen, listened to and heard before on the show. So I'm excited to find out who those are. That's super cool that you're excited because you know <laughs> at least three of them. I know all um, of them. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what do you mean? <laughs> I thought I've given you all the information. Yeah, this is new. I am aware. <laughs> okay, cool. But I yeah. like to be on the audience's side on all this. I like to yeah, right. well, that's see fair. you as this, I don't know, antagonist that we have to fight against. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> With that... We will see you tomorrow with all of our post links, credits, and Patreon shoutouts and everything like that. So talk to you then. Bye. Bye.